Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the PFN Scouting Podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Miller, joined, as always, by my co-host, Ian Cummings. And we have a big one for you today. It's been a little while since we have done a mailbag. Ian's been on vacation. I've been learning how to be a dad. We have not been super consistent with the podcast, but that is going to change. We are back to being consistent. We are back to being weekly. We love you, and we love your questions. But first, as always, Ian, how are you doing today? Doing great, doing great. Happy to get into the mailbag. It's been over a month and a half, I think, since we yeah. did our last one. And you guys know our favorite episodes are the mailbags, getting into the, you know, the immersion, the interaction, uh, you know, hearing what you want want to learn about, right? You know, the NFL draft is such a, you know, detail oriented. It's such a deep process. You know, it's tough to cover all our bases on every podcast, but these kind of allow us to kind of cast a wider net, right? And I love that opportunity. So happy to get into it. Yeah, and listen, let's get right into it. We have a question from the boss, the big man at PFN, Matthew Kanata. He asks, what should the Bears do with first overall pick? Now, I my my thoughts on this are, are well documented at this point. I've written about it, uh, I think, multiple times at this point. I definitely wrote about it last week um, with what the Bears could and should do with that first pick with Justin Fields. But Ian, how do you feel about this subject now? It's a tough discussion, right? Because I think Justin Fields has shown promise. I do think you put him in the right situation offensively. You can get something out of that, right? But here's the thing. The time to make a decision on his contract long-term is not, you know, in the future, right? It's now. I mean, the fifth-year option deadline is coming up. You know, they have a lot of financial implications tied up coming very soon. But you also have an opportunity to reset the clock with a rookie contract with a guy in either Caleb Williams or Drake May, who you know I think are comparable QB prospects. I think within two or three years, you could be getting comparable or even better QB play, right? You know, if you insulate him with the right system. So looking at it that way from the rational perspective, my gut instinct would be to trade fields, give him a change of scenery, get some capital for that, and then use that first overall pick. You know, you don't always have an opportunity to pick number one overall. They really lucked into it by trading with the Panthers. Use that on a QB, reset the clock, because these QBs are worth that investment. That's what I would do, uh, but I think there's arguments for both. Yeah, and it's a really complex discussion if they believe in Justin Fields. Because yeah. even if you do believe in Justin Fields, there's still a very, very good argument for trading him. But the, the idea about keeping him, I kind of break down this way. If you trade the pick, you are getting probably three first round picks at least the value of three first round picks maybe you get two first round picks and a starter from somebody like that is the value of three first round picks when you look at the the trade that they had with Carolina they got the ninth pick next year's one which ended up being the first pick in the NFL draft and when you look at that trade as well if you're trading with the team that is going to pick a quarterback at number one they're probably still not going to be very good next year mm -hmm. so you're probably looking at another top 10 pick and here's, and here's another thing with maybe that too, a pick you stay in range for Marvin Harrison Jr. probably if you're trading with, you, the, with the Patriots and the Commanders Yes, you probably stay in range for Marvin Harrison Jr. You pick up a couple of first-round picks. And then you were talking about building a team around a quarterback. Well, you have three first-round picks. That isn't a very expensive thing, even with Justin Fields. So the money that you're paying for Justin Fields and three rookies is about the same money you would be paying for Caleb Williams or Drake May plus three free agents. 
You know, three yeah. mid-tier free agents, three, you know, somewhat good free agents. That's the contract of Justin Fields. So what do you think you could be better with? Do you think that you could be better with Justin Fields at $45 million and you hit on one or two of those first-round picks, like hit hard on one or two of those first-round picks? Say you get Marvin Harrison Jr. and then, you know, next year you go out and get a crazy edge rusher. Are you a better football team with Justin Fields or are you a better football team with Caleb Williams? It's a very, very complex discussion that, here. I feel like the top variable is how you feel about Justin Fields. Like that's you said, all that matters. That is here, all yes. that matters. So, man, so what do we do with the first pick? We never answered the question. Do we? Um, do we do, no? I'm probably resetting the clock. <laughs> I, and and listen, I say that as like the Justin Fields stand. Yeah. I love Justin Fields, and part part of this is me being selfish as well. And wanting to see Justin Fields in a different situation because I look at Chicago, I look at the history of the Chicago Bears in the quarterback position, and it's just a barren wasteland. Mm -hmm. And I loved Justin Fields as a prospect. I think that as a passer, he has a ton of talent. He's obviously one of the most dynamic runners in the NFL. I just want him to go somewhere where he has the chance to succeed. And I do believe that that could be Chicago if they set it up right. The problem is I don't know if I trust them to set it up right. Yeah, that's the key. Are the Patriots more or less likely to draft a quarterback after moving on from Bill Belichick to Gerard Mayo? That's from Rob Rob. Um, I mean, I think you got to draft a quarterback no matter what. As mm -hmm. long as you're, you know, you're in that third position, so you are in, in kind of a crappy spot yeah. because you're probably going to have to trade up to, to one of those top two picks to get your quarterback. Um, unless you're okay with all three. If you love Jaden Daniels and you love Drake May and Caleb Williams, then you can sit there in three and, and, and be happy. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a very interesting conversation because they are in that third spot. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to, I'm very curious to see the evolution of the perception around Jaden Daniels. You know, is he a guy that's going to join that top group or is it going to be still May and Williams at the top and then Daniels kind of in his own realm, right? We're still going to get going. I think that the creation capacity that he has is far and away, you know, like you can make an argument that that alone separates him. But at the same time, you know, it's a very nuanced discussion. In regards to the Patriots, I, I don't think this changes anything too much. I think more than anything, it emphasizes the need for change at QB, just like it did for head coach. You know, Bill Belichick was kind of wearing out his welcome. They needed to move on. They got a younger coach who seems very open-minded, very innovative. I'm very excited to see what Gerard Mayo does. But you needed a new QB regardless. Looking at that QB situation this past year, you needed an upgrade. And I think that's going to be the priority for them there. Should the Dolphins draft a QB? And then also, should the Dolphins trade up and draft a quarterback? That is also from Matt Kanata. Um, I, I'm going to say no. No. And listen, do I think, and this is partially because I believe in Mike McDaniel and I believe yeah. in that offensive scheme. Um, I don't think that they need to move on from Tua. Um, paying him, you know, 50 to $55 million a year will will probably hurt quite a bit the wallet it, it it doesn't feel real great because he is athletically limited he doesn't have a fantastic arm but i think in that offense when you look at what kyle shanahan has been able to do with jimmy garoppolo and if you look at it no matter how you break it down Tua is a better quarterback than jimmy garoppolo is um and so i think that you can find that success and i think adam beasley at pfn wrote a nice piece about possibly moving on from Jalen Waddle instead um, because there is a bit of a 
redundancy between Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. And with this wide receiver class, I think if you want to address that, and first of all, you're going to probably get a first round pick for Jalen Waddle because when you look at his numbers, you're looking at a top 20 wide receiver. Mm -hmm. With his dynamic ability, he could be a wide receiver one at a lot of spots. He could be a fantastic wide receiver two if you don't need him to be uh, a guy like Brandon Ayuk who can block. And the biggest thing with that Miami Dolphins offense, what separates it or what separates the 49ers from that offense is their wide receivers. Juwan Jennings mm-hmm. gets on the field because he can knock your socks off. Yeah. Brandon Ayuk will fight 30 yards downfield for blocks. You are not getting that same ability or effort from Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle. Yeah. And so if you get a big wide receiver who can block in the 20s, I think that that helps you out a little bit. And I think if you get a first-round pick for Jalen Waddle, I think that you can double up on a big wide receiver, a big possession-type guy who can still catch the ball over in the middle of the field mm-hmm. and be a little bit dynamic because this class is so good. But you're also getting a guy who can block and you are still able to then get that offensive lineman that you're really, really looking for in the first round. Yeah, and it feels like the Dolphins tried to get a little bit of variety in the wide receiver core by trading for Chase Claypool, which did not go great. So it's like, you know, you need to you got to go all in if you're going to get variety, right? You got to go all in. You got to get one of these big receivers in this class. I think if you're going for that and, you know, I agree with you, I think Tua is a QB you can win with. He had a lot of success at times this year. I just think, you know, there's a little more room to properly insulate him with that talent. So my my gut decision would be don't move on from him. But I can, you know, see at least exploring that possibility from an outsider perspective, right? You know, inside, I think McDaniel has expressed his confidence in Tua time and time again i think they're in lockstep i think they're going to try and see this through uh, and see what happens but this next question is intriguing so kind of playing devil's advocate uh in the summer of 2023 eric frostbutter uh, reminded me i picked bo nicks for the dolphins i remember making that pick uh, because it was an intriguing fit i thought and they picked 21st overall now so they're a little bit higher up in the order bo nicks is not a consensus first round qb prospect across the board i think he should be considered there but what do we think about that fit? And, you know, he's also asking how many QBs will go round one. You know, how would that affect the Dolphins' uh, propensity to draft one if they wanted to, right? But I think, you know, here's the thing. I think you're not getting May or Williams because they're going early. Daniels is going early. J.J. McCarthy is probably going in the top half of round one because he's young. He's talented. So then you're looking at either Bo Nix or Michael Penix for the Dolphins. If they did want to take a QB, Nix to me has been an intriguing fit. But, you know, what do you think about that? I'll, I'll let you answer first and then I'll kind of give my thoughts. Yeah, for me, I don't know if Bo Nix makes it there. And I've been throwing this into my mock drafts the last two because I I just think that it makes a ton of sense looking at that Oregon offense and looking at what Sean Payton likes in a quarterback. And I just see the Bo Nix fit in Denver that just screams at me. And and so, yes, is it a little bit early for Bo Nix at, I I think, like pick 12? Probably. It's probably a little bit early for, you know, Bo Nix, but... If you really fall in love with the quarterback, it doesn't matter. You take him no matter what. Um, and so for me, when I look at the Dolphins fit with Bo Nix, um, it's similar because I think that he can work the middle of the field mm-hmm. very well. The, the problem is, you know, especially with that offense, is Tua is so good at working middle of the field crosser concepts, being able to throw guys open, being able to find space and be anticipatory. And I don't think that Bo Nix is that yeah. high in that regard, I think that that's a special trait that that uh, that Tua has. And so I don't know if that's a, a perfect fit. 
Um, and that's why, you know, you kind of look at the differences in the offenses between the Denver Broncos and Sean Payton offenses overall and the Miami Dolphins. I don't know if I love that fit, mm-hmm. but you get the upside of the athleticism on yeah. top of it. And he can throw a nice seam ball. And so, like, there is intrigue there. Yeah, like, I think the the, the selling points is you are getting a, a very good athlete, a very good creator off-platform, off-script. I think some of the some of the key intangibles, the qualities that you want to have in that McDaniel scheme, right, ball handling, right, accuracy as a distributor, you know, those are things that Nix is very strong in. I think he's a superior athlete to Tua. I think he has a little bit stronger mm-hmm. arm. I think the arm elasticity is really strong. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got really good angle freedom. You know, any launch point that you need, he can throw from that, keep his shoulders level. Uh, and also, you know, the Dolphins, if they keep the personnel they have with Hill and Waddle and hopefully get a bigger wide receiver, like you said, but those guys are really easy separators. And I think Nix really functions well with guys like Troy Franklin, right? You know, who can glide through zones. He's got really quick acceleration once he gets a step on deep you know that easy acceleration because he's not the strongest anticipator over the middle of the field like we said in the intermediate yeah. and deep thirds but if you want him to distribute and handle the ball and manage the game in the short and intermediate ranges he can do that right and he's a good running threat too creating threat you know so i do think there are selling points there it's just i think the main variable with him is you know how far can we go mentally with this guy you know how far can we go there because you know he's a good distributor but can he make those anticipatory throws, those layered throws that are so complex at the NFL level? I think that's going to be the biggest question for him. The next question that we have here, what are your thoughts for the Seahawks first round pick? Pick 16, this is from uh, Kima Calderon. Kema or Kima? It's C-H-E. Yeah, there's, there's two players that come to mind right off the bat for me. I do think... I do think if a top cornerback is on the board, I would not be averse to that because Michael Jackson is a free agent. You've got Tariq Woolen on the boundary. Devin Witherspoon can play the slot and the boundary. But if Terry and Arnold is there, I am running to the podium. Man. Yes. I would love that fit so much. But if he's not there, two guys that come to mind for me, Texas defensive tackle Byron Murphy the second, my DT2 behind Jerzon Newton. I'm a huge fan of his game. And then Graham Barton from Duke because I think you have they have free agents at both guard spots and center. Barton can play all those spots. He's a road grader in the run game, explosive, uh, really, really good power drive as a run blocker, but then as a pass protector too, easy leverage acquisition, knee bend, flexibility, combative hands, finishing mentality. I think those are the two guys that kind of mesh with the talent and the need best, but you know, I'm curious to hear your thoughts there. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Uh, if Terion Arnold is there, you're looking at him. Um, I think Nate Wiggins is another guy who they could possibly look at. And it, it all kind of depends on what this defense looks like, yeah. uh, who they hire as a head coach, and what we think that this defense could look like uh, come September. Uh, I, I think another kind of low-key position that they could look at, I loved your Graham Barton idea. Um, another position that I would look at is at edge rusher. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boye Mafe really came together. Darnell Taylor kind of still coming around, but you know he is going to be coming into his final year. Draymond Jones kind of moved to the outside a little bit, but I think that they could have a little bit of an upgrade there. Derek Hall, I think, is a strong player, but if you're picking at, they're picking at 16, I don't even know if the first edge rusher is off the board at yeah. that point. It's just a weird class, and there's a ton of upside. And there's upside at that kind of outside linebacker position that they were kind of molding their guys to Mm -hmm. uh, in the defense that they were running previously. Now, if everything changes and they're going back to, you know, a more traditional 4-3 with 
defensive end types, then maybe you're not looking at that position at all and you are looking at corner and you are looking at interior offensive line. And I think a lot of people will be really upset with interior O-line just because it's the 16th pick and that's so early for an IOL guy. But man, has it been an issue for the Seattle Seahawks Mm -hmm. for like the past decade. (laughs) So at some point, maybe you want to throw some assets at that position yeah and i think the the key appeal with barton too is you can play him at any spot and that in turn gives you flexibility across those three spots right so it's it's kind of a plug and play thing and it's just a little more malleability which which kind of bodes well going off byron murphy there's a question from ethan ebert what's the comparison for him because he's been a guy that's rising through this entire process he's one of the my most enjoyable tape watches so far watching him across from Tavondre sweat i mean i love the energy this dude plays with the natural leverage the explosiveness and the twitch the power and shock in his hands uh have you gotten a chance to watch him at all and do you have a comp in mind? i have a comp in mind like kind of a, a weak a kind of a loose comp you know a high-end comp but have you gotten eyes on him it, it's it's actually kind of funny because i think the fit with seattle is kind of intriguing because of Draymond Jones because he kind of reminds me of Ohio State Draymond Jones somebody who I think is super athletic a little bit undersized for his defensive tackle and I think that Byron Jones or Byron Jones Byron Murphy is a little bit bigger than uh, Draymond Jones was and Jones ended up moving a little bit more to the outside and playing a little bit more that four I five tech where I think uh, Byron Murphy could be you know more that three tech slasher type Mm -hmm. Um, but really strong player as well I I don't know if I technically see Kenny Clark because I look at Kenny Clark as more of a, a nose tackle who can really rush the passer as well. Mm-hmm. A little bit bigger, stockier. Um, but Murphy, man, he's a really good player. I just I don't think I have a great comp for him outside of Draymond Jones. My high-end comp for him is Grady Jarrett, I think. I think 6'1", yeah. over 300. The dude is burly, right? He's really compact, really well-leveraged. But he's a guy who, like you said, can disrupt at three tech, right? He's super explosive and twitchy, violent hands and really good. Uh, you know, I think his counter consistency can improve, but the energy, the want to, the effort is not lacking in any stretch, right? And, you know, he can, with his burst and his frame density and his proportional length too, he can generate massive amounts of speed to power, you know, in that, in that short window ahead of contact. But then at the same time too, you know, we see Jarrett, he's such a good disruptor, but at the same time, if you want to shade him to one tech and have him hold up against the run, he can do that too. You know, I think Byron Murphy, there's some really great flashes on tape where he's, you know, encumbering blocks, you know, kind of eating up combo blocks and double teams and using his, you know, low center of gravity and his play strength to hold strong and, you know, prevent displacement. And then he can deconstruct and make plays in pursuit too. So I think, you know, that multifaceted aspect of his game is such a, you know, sawed off stout lineman uh, is really fun to me. But I think the power element too, I think there's a little bit of Jarrett there. If he can reach his peak, I think that disruptive upside in all three phases is very strong. I didn't realize he was 310. I thought he was like 290, 295. I did not think he he was 310. He wears it really well, right? Like, it's not a guy. Like, he's so compact for that size, and that's just a ton of mass coming at you on Mm -hmm. every down. So he's a fun player, probably one of my favorite watches so far. What player will the Cowboys take a gamble on in the second round and miss on this time? This is from Tom Downey. Uh, This one's like super easy in my opinion. Uh, It's Jonathan Brooks. Um, And it's not that Jonathan Brooks is a bad player. It's just coming off of – it's just a a second-round pick for the Dallas Cowboys coming off of an injury, and that's just what makes sense for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I got no comments there. Yeah, thoughts on the Broncos' best fits at 12. Cody, uh, this is from Cody Rourke, a former colleague of ours. 
at PF Annie now works uh, at Mile High Report. I write, I believe it's Mile High. I think so. Mile High Reporters so. and Mile High Huddle. I can't. I I always screw those. It's got two Mile High in it for sure. But yeah, Cody, yeah, Cody's yeah. for awesome. sure. Cody's I love awesome. Mile High. Um, one of the best interviewers I think I've ever been around. He was an absolute rock star at the Super Bowl for us. Anyways, thoughts on the best fits at twelve? I've kind of already talked about it with uh, Bo Nix. I just kind of love that fit at quarterback. If we're looking outside of quarterback, literally any of the corners. <laughs> Literally any of the cornerbacks. If you want to take another white Iowa corner, go for it. This one will be better. Um, he is very, very good. Cooper DeGene, or Cooper DeGene is, I think, a fantastic player. Coming off of an injury, so we'll have to see you know, how he tests and uh, how healthy he is going through the process. But really good football player overall. Um, outside of that, like it, it's weird because I, the Broncos situation... Outside of corner and outside of quarterback doesn't like scream terrible roster. You but know at what I mean? At the same time, you could go almost anywhere, and I don't yes. think I argue with it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's weird. Like, I think the Broncos are in a really good spot at number 12 overall because oh, Edge as well. Yeah, edge is edge. another position. I think Edge, interior defensive line, if you want. I think wide receiver, mm-hmm. maybe, because Jerry Judy is in his last year, entering his last year. Uh, you mm-hmm. got Marvin Mims, who flashed promise, right? You got Cortland Sutton still, but I think there's room if the right wide receiver drops to take them. Like if Malik Neighbors dropped to 12, I would run to the oh, podium, yeah. right? Like exactly, you know, there's so many top receivers. There's a chance that one of them is going to be there. You know, maybe adding Brian Thomas Jr. to that offense if you want to get that in there because he can play the slot, the boundary, you know, the e- easy acceleration, the ball tracking, uh, the rack skills that he's shown too. You know, I think he's flashed that more than, you know, people give him credit for, right? So I think – if the right wide receiver falls, definitely capitalize on that, right? Obviously, you still need to get the quarterback, though, so that's the toughest part. But outside of that corner, if Terry and Arnold is there, I would you know snatch that up because he's a very, very good two-phase corner. I, my CB1, personally. Jerzon Newton, DT1, if he's there, I think you get an interior disruptor who's so, so sound in all phases of the game. Explosive, hyper-flexible. But then Edge, you mentioned that too. Dallas Turner, Laiatu Latu, Jared Verse, if you want that speed to power. For the Broncos, there's so many options. Like, I'm almost overthinking it because you get to that point and, you know, you don't want to make the wrong decision. But, you know, I do think you're going to have a good problem. A lot of good players left on the board and you get a chance to take the best one on your board or the best mend of need and, and talent. So I think it's a good spot to be for the Broncos. I think you got a lot of fits, but those are some of the few that stand out to me. The next question that we have is from Jared Feinberg. What players do you like for the Panthers at 33? That's a uh, that's a bit of a loaded question because <laughs> I think when you look at the Panthers, you can go literally anywhere you want. I do think that there's a possibility of still getting really good value at wide receiver and getting good value at edge, yeah. at a high upside edge rusher. Um because there aren't a ton of, of edges in this class. I mean, when you just kind of look at, at the guys in this class, I don't know how many guys you really love. Mm-hmm. But if one of, for some reason, Dallas Turner 
Layatu Latu, Jared Verse, Chop Robinson are there. Any of those guys are there. Mm-hmm. You have to jump on it yeah. if you're if you're Carolina. Or maybe even Chris Braswell, um, you know, young, ascending, really high, high end talent. Yeah, I, I just think that that might be early for Braswell just yeah. because I don't think that the pass rushing upside is particularly there for him. I think mm-hmm. that he is a good player. I think that he plays with his pants on fire. But I do very much like with Jared Verse. I think it's a little bit different because I think Verse is a more powerful player yeah, and a little bit more explosive. But Braswell, because he plays with his pants on fire, because he is a good technician, I think that he could be productive. I just think that he's a little bit stiff. He's a little bit undersized. And for me, I would rather look at that, you know, as a, a guy who can be an edge two or, you know, even an edge three um, for my football team in the second or the third yeah. round. Um if you want to go a little bit bigger, you're looking at guys like Dorless or Trice, but I'm 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 just circling wide receiver because of what yeah. I saw this year. I think for the Panthers, you only go edge if there's a really premium value there, right? You know, I think yeah. in like Braswell, I think the explosiveness, I think the speed to power is top tier with him. I think the stiffness is probably my main reservation, right? I still think mm-hmm. he's super explosive, super athletic. You know, the the proportional length too. The guy's got hammers for arms. But you look at Jared versus kind of a speed power guy with a little more technician aspect to his game. I think his mm-hmm. hands are better. I think his run defense is a little more consistent. Versus is incredible in run defense. We don't always hear it. He's but so much fun. He's yeah. so much fun. But, yeah, I think for the Panthers, if you have value there at edge, you go edge. If not, I think wide receiver is probably my favorite one. Adnai Mitchell is a guy that I've liked at 33 if he's there. Uh, you know, really good X receiver, really fluid route runner, really good hands. Uh, he's got good vertical speed as well. But one guy that I really like, too, is Jalen Polk from Washington. I think if you're looking for a guy to help out Bryce Young, scheme him touches, right? Scheme solutions for Bryce Young. And I think Jalen Polk really gives you a great opportunity to do that because you can use him from any alignment, off motions, in the slot, on the boundary. He's such a fluid route runner, right? And then his hands are like glue at the catch point, right? So the dude's got the explosiveness, the rack skills. I think that three-level threat framework and then the usage versatility that he brings, you know, I'm looking to scheme easy solutions for Bryce Young. I'm looking to make his job a little bit less stressful in 2024. I think Jalen Polk is a really QB-friendly wide receiver, so I would definitely be up for him. At 33? I Dude, I like him a lot. I think he's you got... You like him that much? I like him a lot. Man. I think some of the ways okay. that he succeeds is similar to Puka Nakua. You know, a guy who's very usage versatile. You can use him in any different alignment, right? And then he's just he just converts, right? He just makes mm-hmm. the most of his opportunities. And I think Polk is explosive, too. I think he's got great separation speed, late, late snap separation speed, right? The ball tracking ability, the fluidity and agility as a, as a rack threat, too. I'm a big fan of Polk. He's very high on my board. But if he's there... I I think, you know, not just the valuation, but also what he would provide for Young as a QB. You know, being that QB-friendly target, I think they desperately need that. What is the best position group this year? This is from Mike Gambardella, uh, who is the leader of the PFN NFL team. Rapid fire, wide receiver. Wide it's wide receiver, but I love I love this offensive tackle class, mm-hmm. man. Left tackle, right tackle, doesn't matter. It's fantastic. All right, moving on. I will say real, pre- real quick, one position. I know I said rapid fire. I'm going against it. Yeah, you are. It's on brand. It's on brand. One position, because mm-hmm. I updated my top tens this past week. One position that's really been growing on me with the depth is cornerback. There is a lot of depth at cornerback, a lot of playmaking abilities. So keep an eye on that. I really like the corner class, too. Do you project any records to be tied or broken during the draft slash round one? Like most wide receivers or QBs drafted in round one, most players drafted at a certain position that is really deep over the entire draft. 
Finally, who do you feel will be a target in the late first that a team trades up for? That is from Joe. Real quick, the trade up one, I would look at maybe Bo Nix or Michael Penix Jr. if they fall. Yeah. I think Penix, the yeah, injuries could be a concern. You know, I think someone can make a move up for them to get that fifth year option. Are any records going to be broken? I think we've seen a few people talk about this. I think it's been you know, pretty widely accepted. The offensive tackle class, right? is very, very talent-dense at the very top, right? You have mm-hmm. Joe Alt, Olufashanu, Talese Fuwaga, J.C. Latham. All those guys are blue chip on my board. All those guys are top 10. I would, and, and it goes so far beyond yeah. that, too, because you have Amarius Mims and Kingsley yep. Suamataya and Jordan Morgan and Tyler Guyton and Patrick Paul. Like, literally, if any of those names went first round, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah. And that's, like, nine guys. Exactly. And I think the record's, like, seven, right? Offensive tackles, anyway. Yeah, I'm not sure. What seven or eight. It's seven or eight, I think. But then, and then you got Troy Fatanu from Washington too. I know a lot of people project him to guard, but I think he could stay at tackle too. So you know, I yeah. think that's another one in the discussion. Offensive tackle to me is probably the one because, and I think another factor kind of playing into that is after that top group, I do think there's a little bit of a drop off to that late day two, early day three range. I think you have a lot of first round, maybe early second caliber guys, and then it does kind of drop off. There's still a lot of depth in that day three range. But there's kind of a little bit of a void. So if you're an NFL team, you're thinking, I need a starting caliber tackle on day one, you might have to pay that first-round premium to get that guy because I think the pickings are going to be a little bit more sparse on day two. I agree. Now, moving on to the next question. How many combined running backs and linebackers are going in the first two days? This is from Matty V. Matt Vadovinos. This is a tough question because, like, how do we have a – here's another one, a uh, question off of this. Do we have any running backs go top 50? Top 50, I would say Jonathan Brooks if he didn't have a torn ACL. I think the torn ACL kind of adds some variance to him. He's a phenomenal football player. I think the receiving upside, too, is very good. Trey Benson from Florida State would be my pick, I think. We saw Zach Charbonnet go very early in the second round last year. I think Trey Benson is a better prospect. I think he's a better volume Mm -hmm. back. I think he's a really good receiver, too, kind of in a limited sample. I could see him going within that range. Aside from that, it's a little bit more unpredictable. Bucky Irving, maybe, right? But I'm not sure. I think Trey Benson probably has the best chance linebackers and running backs that go on day two combined just thinking in my head i could see probably nine or ten i'm thinking you know maybe eight nine i i, I do think that's where i'm at i do think we're gonna see i think an influx of that probably on in round three i think i think that's where more of them are gonna go but you you still got good players right i think jeremiah trotter jr you've got cedric gray from north carolina you've got Ed, edger and cooper from texas a&m we're both big fans of him uh, mm-hmm. Peyton Wilson is a wild card as long as his medicals check out. I think he will go top 100. So there is a lot of linebacker talent that could go in day two and then running back too. I think that round three range is where a lot of teams, if you have a need for a really good rotational back, a really good change of pace, spark plug, uh, receiving weapon, right? That's a range where some teams, if they have an extra pick, will take it. So I think eight or nine is probably the um, the option there. I know Matt wanted me to mention Adam Peters, the new Washington Commanders general manager. Congratulations. It looks like things are finally changing for the better for Washington and yeah, not a moment too soon. We've been we've been waiting for that for a while. So hopefully Washington, they have a lot of I think they have six top 100 picks right now. It'll be five once the comp picks get worked in. But you have the capital to get players, at linebacker, running back, both needs for, for them. Re Michael Penix. Has there ever been a quarterback drafted who has suffered four season engine ending injuries while in college? If not, 
Who was the last time? When was the last time a quarterback was selected with comparable injury history? This is from Durst. I kind of look at it uh, a little bit like I do with Landon Dickerson. Four season-ending injuries for Landon Dickerson. Yep. The talent was there, and he went round two. He's been a fantastic player, and he's been healthy at the NFL level. I think injuries are a really weird thing, especially with quarterbacks, because they do tend to be a lot more fluky than if you're looking at offensive line, tight end, defensive line. And when you look at it, Penix isn't like a running quarterback either. He's mobile enough, but he's not going to get out on the hoof and try to make a ton of plays. So I think that... It's a little bit more bad luck and just playing in the state of Indiana where you know, bad weather probably mm-hmm. plays a little bit into it as well. You don't know where he's going to end up at the at the NFL level. Um, and then it might just be a little bit of bad luck as well. I think as long as his prior injuries are fully healed and there aren't any lingering long-term issues, um, I wouldn't have any issues drafting him at all. Yeah, I think the medical evaluations of the combine are going to be big. Like I know, I don't, I don't remember a quarterback with any sort of comparable injury history. To him, yeah, though. me neither. I was going to defer to you because you've been doing the draft stuff a little bit longer, but yeah, I don't remember it either. I think four season-ending injuries is kind of unprecedented, and it's it's interesting too because torn ACLs too, and then AC joint issue, right? You know, sternoclavicular sternoclavicular joint. I don't. I botched that, obviously, but, you know, he, he had a few shoulder issues, too. So, you know, it's been a little bit of everything for him. So medical evaluations will be big. But as long as teams determine or discern that it's not going to be a long term durability issue or, a, you know, being able to play at 100 percent issue, um, you know, it, it might not affect him too much. But that that's going to be we got to wait till the combine for that. And we have a question that is right up your alley now. You've been Let's talking go. about the slot cornerback position for a long time. Who are some of your favorite slot cornerback prospects that will most likely be drafted outside of the top 100 this year, Ian? Outside of the top 100 is tough because my favorite one was Mike Sainer still, but I don't think he's making it out of the top 100. I think he could go in round two or early round three, honestly. I mean, he's that good of a player. Uh, so he was my favorite one. I love Mike Sanders still, one of my favorite players in the draft, I think. But I do think this class is still really strong in the nickel department. I look at guys like Daquan Hardy from Penn State. Uh, mm, I'm so mad at you because I was going to steal that. <laughs> I know. I, I was the first one I mentioned, too. So I'm sorry. I, was sorry. I was hoping to like get a buffer <laughs> no, in there. Good, but no, good. with Daquan Hardy, I like, I'm scrolling down the list here because sometimes I need to see the name to jog my memory. Thomas Harper from Notre Dame is one that I think is very very underrated he really held his own against marvin harrison jr he can play safety but he's a really fleet-footed quick accelerator physical and support uh thomas harper is one that i really like jerry and jones from florida state guy with that gnawing physicality right he'll, he'll be very energetic in coverage and support you know there's a few i gotta scroll down the list here i'm looking for more but it's a very strong slot corner class just you know off of my my memory do you have any others besides daquan hardy in your mind or was that the one you're trying to uh, Daquan Hardy was one that I was really looking at. Javon um, Bullard from Georgia is another Tyke Smith was, as well. Bullard can rotate back to safety too. Yeah. I was going to bring up both of those guys because both of those guys played a little bit on the back end and a little bit at the slot as well. Um, other than that, I don't really have any guys that I'm circling at the position. Um, but I have not gotten uh, a chance to get into it quite as deeply. So another one that just jogged my memory, Dadrian Taylor Demerson from Texas tech. 
Um, he's a slot safety hybrid, a lot of experience that really like his playmaking range and pursuit. And he packs a punch at contact. I mean, he's not scared to surge into cat into the catch point and jar wide receivers and knock that ball loose. Uh, plays with a lot of energy. I think last year, a player that we saw really excel at the Shrine Bowl with his versatility and his physicality was Christian Izian, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He went undrafted, but he became their starting nickel defender, right? I think Dadrian Taylor Demerson from Texas Tech could have a similar arc and he's actually going to be at the shrine bowl too so we'll get a chance to see him there but i think that versatility that fluidity that physicality playmaking propensity um all very very much there with him as well so bottom line if you need a nickel defender or a versatile db on the back end uh this is a good class to have it and we will be discussing the shrine bowl and senior bowl on next week's episode of the pfn scouting podcast there's a plug for next week uh what do you guys think about matt lee and sincere hainsworth this is from brian Moffey. brian thank you for all the awesome questions you are so much better at this than i am because i gotta be honest with you i haven't watched a single second of center tape outside of uh the top, what, three or four guys. So, yeah, I have not watched any of Matt Lee or Sincere Hainsworth yet. The, they might the, be they might be top five. So, <laughs> I, like, I like them both. I think they're day three for me right now. I think Sincere Hainsworth, very experienced at Tulane, multi-year first team all AAC, I believe. Um, he's just a really sound player. I think, you know, the, the football IQ that he has is very strong. I think he's really well leveraged. I think he's got great strength at the point of attack. Uh, for me, even with his natural leverage being a little bit shorter, I do think he gets above his, you know, in front of the skates a little bit too much as the blocker kind of negates his base a little bit. And he doesn't have great hip flexibility or utility as a space blocker. But I think the lateral mobility is there. I think the pass blocking synergy uh, to anchor and then reset your base is there. I think he could be one of those guys who gets picked on day three and becomes a really solid starter down the line. Matt Lee um, is a little bit lighter, I think, 6'4", 295. But I think he's got some wiry strength for his frame. You don't really expect him to anchor the way he does. I don't think strength is elite for him. I still think there's you know areas where you know he will kind of lose those battles. But Matt Lee is super tenacious. That's one thing I love about his game. He's very very quick to fulfill his assignments within his gap, uh, doing combo blocks and kind of you know diverting his attention. And then he's actually a pretty energetic space blocker too. I think for him, another potential concern is hip flexibility. You know he does play a little bit tall. He's a little bit high cut. That can impact his ability to redirect and, you know, kind of correct attack angles when moving in space. But he's tenacious. He's smart. He's alert. He's active. Uh, and he's got pretty good shock in his hands, too, with that energy that comes with it. So I think both those guys are day three gems at center. I think potential gems, I want to say. You know, you never want to bank on any outcome. But I do think you get those guys on day three, you could be looking at a really solid starter down the line. Who could have their stock raised potential first rounder after the All-Star Games? And are there any draft sleepers that aren't being talked about enough? Do you have any guys? There's a few. The first one that comes to mind, I don't know if he's going to be at the Senior Bowl. I checked the Senior Bowl roster today and I didn't see him on it, but I'm hoping... He will be there. So, but I, this is more of an off-season riser because if he tests at the combine, he's going to rise to TJ Tampa, Iowa State corner. Is big on my list. He's actually a top five CB for me. Watching his tape, uh, six foot two, two hundred. Um, last year, that that last year's class was full of just size, speed athletes at corner. You know, you look at Julius Brents, Christian Gonzalez, guys like that. I think TJ Tampa is really unique in this class because we don't have as many. 
But then the, this dude comes in. He's 6'2", 200, probably over 33-inch arms. The dude is an albatross. And he's so explosive, so high energy as an athlete. He's got really good hinge fluidity for his size, really good attacking, closing speed. But then I was really impressed with how variable he is in coverage. You you look at him pedal and off man and zone, really fluid, really adaptable. And then he can line up and press and, and kind of dictate reps at the line with his length to jam receivers. A uh, really good playmaker too, former wide receiver. So the ball skills are there. And he improved his support game too. I think angles and tackling form, those were concerns in previous years, but he really improved that this year. Uh, so TJ Tampa to me, if he does end up being at the senior bowl, I don't know if he's at the all-star circuit right now, but um He's a guy that I would look at as one to definitely rise and maybe even crack into the round one range. Darius Robinson from Missouri is one that I've been a big, big fan of. He'll be at the Senior Bowl, 6'5", around 290. The power profile is overwhelming with this guy. I expect him to knock quite a few blockers back, at least a few steps in one-on-ones. I think the power that he can drive the contact is very impressive. But for a 290-pound guy, you don't expect him to bend the way he he's able to. You know, I think he doesn't have elite bend, but really good ankle flexion once he gets a step on you to corner a little bit. Explosive, I think violent hands. Uh, and he's alignment versatile too. You know, five tech, he can play seven tech as a stand-up. He can play four eye. Uh, so a lot of versatility with that player. And this one's kind of cliche, but Jackson Powers Johnson, right? I think we're kind of looking at him as the top 50 guy. I think by the time the, the all-star circuit is over, he'll be a round one guy. You know, he's the top, my top pure center. Graham Barton is a little bit higher graded for me, but Barton's kind of a wild card. If you need a pure center with that kind of schematic versatility, athleticism, power, uh, Jackson Powers Johnson, I think is definitely at the top of the list. Those are a few. Um, I know there's a lot of guys that I'm leaving out, but we've got the whole next episode next week to cover the all-star circuit. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I don't know if I have a, a guy who might be able to rise into the first round conversation. I think Xavier Leggett. I'm going to continue to just yes, say his name. Yes, sir. The minute he tests, the minute he tests is going to be the time where some guys are talking can just about him. Anticipate that. Guy. Like we know. Once the numbers come in, it's gonna it's gonna be a revelation. When he jumps forty at <laughs> two hundred and thirty pounds, it, mm-hmm. it's gonna happen. Um I don't know what he'll run, but I know his speed when he hits the forty mile or the forty yard mark is going to be ridiculous. Um, no, I think somebody who's not being talked about enough. Probably my favorite football player in this draft is just it's an I Smith from Texas A&M, mm-hmm. the wide receiver, nice. running back. Good call, good call. Just literally get him the ball, have him block. I mean, he has played you know behind the line of scrimmage, you know, coming across the formation, blocking defensive ends at the college level at one hundred and eighty pounds, like. If you need a guy to just do stuff on your football team, he's the guy who coaches are going to absolutely fall in love with throughout the process when they watch him play the game. Scouts might not love him because he's he's definitely undersized. He's, uh, you know, very good um, agility, great hands over the middle of the field. He's not the best route runner in the world, but like it's a guy that you just want on your football team. And so for me, he's the guy who isn't being talked about enough. And with him, too, usage versatility, former running back, right? I think that is something that's really starting to get magnified in the modern NFL. So I agree completely. I'm glad you brought him up. Yes. Uh, Which quarterback has the most to gain from a great week at the Senior Bowl? And which QB has the most to lose? Hmm. Same questions as above for any positions. This is from ADI Avery. Avery, thank you very much for all of your questions. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to do... I'm not going to do the QBs with most to lose because I think back, you know, like one example, Desmond Ritter 
at the Senior Bowl a couple of years ago. He was a little inconsistent with his accuracy, right? He still ended up going round three. I think as long as these guys don't tank that week, they're not going to sink down the board completely or tank interviews or something. And, yeah, exactly. A lot of this we don't know because we we aren't in there with the yeah. with them in the interviews, so we we don't know. We can get a feel for it when he's up at the podium, or if you're able to get him off to the side. Usually, the quarterbacks they're a little bit more tough to get off to the side. They're usually at the main podiums, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think. It, it, unless you really bomb out on the field and bomb those interviews, it's really kind of hard to mm-hmm. hurt your stock at the yeah. Super Bowl. One QB with the most to gain, I think, is Michael Pratt from Tulane. I think he had yes. a phenomenal college career. Um, he was always, you know, right from the jump, a really solid starter. He's not a top-end physical talent, but I do think he's mobile enough within the pocket. I think he's got above-average arm talent, and he's super, very smart, high IQ anticipatory thrower he really improved his accuracy and his mechanics down the stretch i think if he has a good week because he's not a talent liability he has enough arm strength i think you know if he has a good week showing that anticipation that leadership ability the ability to command an offense with a bunch of new players he could go day two i think there's a void there to fill and he could fill it a qb that i'm curious to get your interpretation on real quick because i think he has a lot to gain this week too spencer rattler at senior bowl He's so tough for me, yeah. man. And I think that I could do half an episode on him alone. <laughs> um, the talent is there. Yeah. I, I, the, the talent has always been there. Situation in South Carolina wasn't fantastic, but like the flashes of, of what he's able to do sometimes, watching Leggett, watching, um, oh, oh, why can't I? Juice, Juice Wells. Watching yeah. Juice Wells, like w- watching those guys and, and seeing what he's able to do and watching him, you know, early in the year this year. A lot of talent, but it's just never really all came together for him. So it'll be interesting. He could have a great week and he really could help his situation. But that's all we got for today. We have got to get out of here. We are at the 45 minute mark. We're going to get yelled at if we go over. So we will not do that. Do you have any quick closing remarks? You have five seconds. Senior Bowl, Shrine Bowl coming up. Seven round mock draft this weekend. Keep an eye out for it. Love that. I will be checking that out. And remember, guys, I love you. Goodbye. Goodbye.